Whether you're a new believer or a seasoned saint, I'm sure we've all experienced times when our walk of faith has been hindered. Now, if we're to be honest with ourselves, then we have to acknowledge that there are times when our faith is hindered by the sinful desires that we still find within our fallen flesh. At the same time, there are also those times when the devil and his demons are the ones who are targeting born-again believers as they set out to stop us from serving our Savior, Jesus. The reason why? Well, it's because the unhindered Christian is a believer who has been given the keys to the kingdom. We call this the gospel message of grace. And with the gospel message of grace, the unhindered Christian is able to lead the lost out of spiritual darkness. We're able to take the unbeliever and set them free from, from the prison cell of Satan and, and so that they can enter into the glorious light of the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ. And so Satan knows that if we are left unhindered, then we'll have no problem uh, leading the lost to the foot of the cross where they can trust in Jesus Christ. And that is not good in the eyes of Satan. Satan doesn't want unbelievers to become believers. And it's for this reason that he attempts to hinder us with all of his satanic schemes. And with that being the case, we should take some time this morning to examine our own lives by asking Am I being hindered from accomplishing my calling in Christ? Well, with this question of mine, we're going to spend our time today considering some of the ways that the devil and his demons do their best to hinder the servants of our Savior. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we're going to begin to see, first of all, that Satan hinders us with doctrinal deceptions. We'll also consider how Satan attempts to hinder us with demonic distractions Thirdly and finally, we'll consider the way that Satan attempts to hinder us with discordant divisions. Well, with this as the outline, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here we find Paul describing the way that Satan was attempting to hinder his ministry. And as we make our way to the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that it was in our study last Sunday when we learned about the promise of persecution. And as we consider the way that the persecutors of Christians set out to shame and shun and silence the saints of God, well, we must also realize that our persecutors are oftentimes agents of Satan. That being the case, we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that the devil and his demons are using all sorts of methods and means to, as they do everything they can to keep us from accomplishing the great commission of Christ Jesus. And with this as the focus, I want to pick up our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you would look with me there, we'll begin reading at verse 17. Here Paul declares, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's describing the way that he was endeavoring to return to the church there in Thessalonica. And, and we should understand that the word endeavored here is found there in verse 17. It's translated from a Greek word which was used of those who make an earnest effort. It's also used to describe the diligence of those who are doing everything they can to accomplish the task at hand. And what this means is that Paul wasn't just kind of like, yeah, I miss you guys, hope to see you soon. 
No, he, he was letting, letting them know that he was diligently doing everything that he could do to make his way back to Macedonia so that he could spend more time with the Christians there in Thessalonica. And the reason why? Well, it's because he truly loved the believers there at that church. I like the way that the scholars who created the new living translation rendered verse 17. Here's how they put it. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. I love that. Paul's heart remained with the believers there in Thessalonica. And it was for this reason that he made it his aim to return to the region of Macedonia so that he could then spend more time with the Christians there in Thessalonica. And while it's my guess that Paul wanted to return to Thessalonica immediately after he was run out of town, well, he ended up being hindered. He wasn't able to return immediately to Thessalonica as he wanted to. And one reason why is because Satan was raising up persecutors who began to chase Paul from town to town, and he was trying to stay just steps ahead, and they would oftentimes catch him and beat him and, and, and you know, just torture him and Yeah, it was his heart to return to Thessalonica because he felt like he hadn't yet finished his work there. And yet Satan hindered him during that second missionary journey. Thankfully, he ended up returning during his third missionary journey. He spent time in Macedonia, spent time with the Christians there in Thessalonica because, listen, Satan can't stop God. Satan can't stop God. And it was God's plan for Paul to go back to Macedonia. And with all this being the case, though, we should take a moment to consider how Satan did hinder him for a while. No doubt about it. That's what Paul says. Uh, As a matter of fact, as there in verse 18, Paul declares, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. That's what he says. Satan was able to hinder him for a season. And in order to grasp what Paul meant uh, when he refers to the way that he was hindered by Satan, well, we should take some time to identify the identity of this entity known as Satan. I should first point out that it's in Revelation chapter 12. There, the Apostle John informs us that Satan is known uh, in several different ways. For example, it's there in Revelation 12 where John tells us that Satan is also known as the devil. Satan is also called the great dragon. He's also known as the serpent of old. And there are other uh, names for this entity. It's also interesting to note that, uh, uh, that this is the same being who fell from a heavenly position. As a matter of fact, it's in Luke chapter 10, it's verse 18. There the Lord Jesus declares, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, according to the Lord Jesus, he literally witnessed an entity that he calls Satan falling to the earth like a lightning strike from a thunderstorm. Now, as we consider the Lord's account of this, I can't help but to compare this to Isaiah's record of the day when an angel named Lucifer fell from heaven. Yeah, there was an angel named Lucifer who, who fell from heaven because uh, the, the, that he allowed his pride to lead him to become an adversary of God. And I want to consider how the prophet Isaiah put it. It's in Isaiah chapter 14, where Isaiah declares this. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, 
I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Here in these verses, we find the prophet Isaiah recounting the five I will statements of Satan, and it was these I will statements that led to the fall of this angel named Lucifer. It was at that point in time when Lucifer made himself the adversary of God because he wouldn't humble himself before his creator. No, instead, he raised himself up. He exalted himself with these five I will statements. And it's for this reason that Lucifer, Lucifer fell like lightning from heaven as the Lord cast him down to earth. Now, it's true that there's coming a day when Satan will be cast into Sheol, but he's not there now. And while I get it, Hollywood wants you to think that Satan's in hell and and the demons are in hell and these sorts of things. And yeah, there are some fallen angels who have been locked up in chains at this point in time. But listen, Satan is here on the earth. And he still has access to to God as well. We see him in the book of Job approaching God and, and questioning God about Job. That being the case, we must understand that while there is coming a day when Satan will finally be cast into the lake of fire, he's currently attempting to hinder the work of the Lord here on the earth. I want to consider again how Paul puts it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you would, look with me once again at verse 18. Here again, Paul says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. This word hindered, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of those who tried to impede the progress of another by standing in their way. It's also used of those who attempt to detain another as they stop them from moving forward. You know, like when a cop arrests you, kind of like that. Not, not that. not that you've ever been arrested, but... But yeah, a cop, when they try to detain you, they they stop you from moving forward. And in light of this definition of the word hinder, there should be no doubt that Satan was trying to stop Paul from accomplishing the great commission of Christ Jesus. And And in similar fashion, listen, Satan is still trying to hinder every Christian so that we might become ineffective believers. One way that he does this is by leading us astray with doctrinal deceptions. And to prove my point, let's consider the way that he deceived Eve while she was there in the Garden of Eden. With this as the focus, if you would hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians and let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And as you make your way to the third chapter of Genesis, I just want to take a moment to remind you that it was there in the garden where Satan first appeared to Eve as some sort of serpent. And there are those who ask, well, how can a serpent talk? And they get all hung up on that. Listen, this wasn't just some snake. This wasn't just some sort of, you know, lizard that was trying to sell car insurance or something like that. This was Satan taking on the form of some sort of serpent. And no doubt that this attracted the attention of Eve. It was at that point when Satan deceived Eve by convincing her to start questioning the word of God. I want to consider how Moses records these events here in Genesis chapter 3. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 1, here we learn that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now here in these verses we find Moses, he's recounting the way that Satan came along as a serpent and deceived Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And we must not fail to notice that he began this deceptive process with a very simple question. And the question that we find there in verse 1 is this, has God indeed said? Has God indeed said? In other words, Satan was leading Eve to question the word of God. This was the beginning of his deception. Yeah, I know that you know God said this, but did he really mean that? Did he mean it like this? Next thing you know, she's adding to the word of God. Because God never said anything about touching the fruit. Just don't eat it. And in this way, we see how Satan encouraged Eve to simply just give up on the word of God so that then he could bring in his own doctrinal deceptions. Once she started questioning the word of God, Lucifer led her astray with deceptive doctrines. And in this way, Eve allowed Satan to hinder her walk with the Lord. Before this moment, Adam and Eve would walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. They they would have a a face-to-face relationship with the Lord there in the garden. But after this moment, after eating the fruit, they were kicked out of the garden. There was now relational separation with God. And it not only affected Adam and Eve, but all of their descendants, including us. Eve ended up allowing Satan to hinder her walk and all of her descendants after her. That being the case, we'd all do well to heed the warning that Paul presented in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's there where Paul declares, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Christian, listen, the the serpent who deceived Eve there in the Garden of Eden The same serpent, Satan, is attempting to hinder every believer with his doctrinal deceptions. And it's for this reason that Paul encourages us to stay focused on the simplicity that's found in Christ Jesus. Think about the the command that the Lord gave to Adam, you know, who then passed it on to Eve, and it was very simple. What was it? Don't eat that fruit. Very simple. And as simple as that was, Satan comes along and says, "Eh, is that really what he said? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. 
but did he mean it? And does it apply to us today? And what about? You know, that's how Satan does it. He gets us to start deconstructing our faith. Oh, let's just dismiss everything every theologian has ever said and just begin with Genesis and try to build a case for God from there and deconstruct our faith. And next thing you know, whoosh, deceived. Be careful with all of this. There is a simplicity in Christ Jesus that does not need to be confused. And yet the enemy will come along and say, eh, you know, is, is, is Jesus really God incarnate? I mean, he never claimed to be God incarnate. I mean, how Be careful with this. The devil loves to lead us astray by convincing us to simply question the word of God rather than just accepting what it says. And you better believe that Satan is trying to cause us to stumble by twisting the scriptures. Yeah, the devil knows how to use the Bible. To prove my point, I want to consider how Satan used this strategy on our Savior Jesus. And so if you would, continue holding your place there in 1 Thessalonians, and let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of Matthew's Gospel account, I just want to take a moment to point out that Satan doesn't really ever switch up his strategy because he doesn't really need to. The strategy that he used in the Garden of Eden is the same strategy that he used at the temptation of Jesus Christ, and it's the same strategy that he uses today. Did God really say? And the person who's willing to just question the simplicity that we find in the word of God, they're also going to fall for the false doctrines that are based on the devil's deceptions. And with this as the goal, you know, the devil set out to deceive our Savior by convincing Christ Jesus to question the word as well. With this as the focus, I want to consider the account that we find here in Matthew chapter 4. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 1, here we learn that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hand they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone." And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now here in these verses we find the devil. He's attempting to deceive the Lord Jesus with these unbiblical doctrines. And at the same time, we must not fail to notice that Satan was actually twisting some scriptures. When, when Satan came along and said, it, it was written, yeah, he's taking a, a verse out of the Bible, he's taking a few passages from the scriptures, and he, he's twisting the meaning out of them while using the text itself. 
And in this way, he presented our Savior Jesus with deceptive doctrines, which uh, would have ended up hindering his messianic ministry had he followed the advice. In light of this, we must not fail to realize the devil has no problem using the Bible. And you better believe that there are preachers in the pulpit holding up that Bible high and saying things that do not line up with the Scriptures. Just because somebody has a Bible or quotes a Bible verse doesn't mean that they're not twisting that Scripture. We have to be careful with this. That being the case, I encourage you to remember the warning that Paul presented in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's verse 1 where he informs us that the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's right. In the latter days, the, the last days, we will watch believers departing from the faith. Why? Because they will give heed to deceiving spirits and their demonic doctrines. That's right. There will be many who fall away from the faith. And the reason why is because they embrace the deceptive doctrines of the devil that are designed to hinder our faith. The, the, the devil wants to stand in our path. Satan wants to hinder our progress. And one way he does this is by getting us to question God's simple word. Therefore, we must learn to test the spirits before we embrace doctrines of demons. And this brings us to our second point because, listen, Satan not only hinders us with doctrinal deceptions, which are oftentimes twistings of the scripture, but Satan also hinders us with demonic distractions. Now, to explain what I mean by this, let's make our way back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here we find Paul describing the way that the devil was trying to, to distract him so that he could, uh, couldn't accomplish his mission. And uh, if you would look with me there, beginning at verse 18 once again, here Paul declares, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. You're like, yeah, I know, we already read that, right? Yeah, we did. But as we take a closer look at this verse, I should take a moment to point out that the Greek word translated hindered it can also refer to those who try to detain us as they try to wear us down. So in some cases, you have someone that detains you and hinders you from moving forward, right? In this case, we also see that there are those who try to slow our progress or stumble our walk by wearing us down. It seems to me that Satan was trying to hinder Paul by wearing him down with every sort of distraction that uh, would keep him from focusing on his calling in Christ. And if you've read through the book of Acts, then you recognize that as Paul went from town to town on his journeys, uh, he would stir up strife. You know, the, the antagonist would then chase him down and, 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 and he would have to flee to the next city over. And then they, they would come and find him there and they would, they would uh, you know, beat him and they would throw him in prison and they would uh, raise up all kinds of problems against him. And, and all of this because Satan was trying to wear him down. Satan was trying to stop him from taking another journey, bringing him to the place where he's like, it's just too hard. Everywhere I go, it's just a hassle. Satan was trying to stop him with all these sorts of distractions. 
In a similar fashion, there's no doubt in my mind that the servants of Satan are trying to hinder us by distracting us with anything, anything that will keep us from accomplishing our calling in Christ. And to prove my point, we should take a moment to consider the hierarchy of helpers who are helping the devil to distract us. And with this as the focus, hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians and let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, as you're making your way to the sixth chapter of Ephesians, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the devil is a fallen angel. And that's very important for us to remember. You see, there are those who believe in this idea that, you know, you have, you have God in one corner, you have the devil in the other, and they're ba- basically both omnipotent. You know, they're both all powerful. And, and so it is a clash of the titans, so to speak, you know, and who's going to win? And I don't know. And that's not the story. God is our omnipotent, all-powerful creator, and he is the creator of the angels, which includes Lucifer. What this means, then, is that Lucifer is a finite being who has limitations, you know, not unlike our own. Lucifer isn't omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He can only be in one place at at, at a time. He's not all-powerful. He might have more power than we have here in this world, but... He's not all-powerful. So knowing that Lucifer has limitations, it's also important to recognize that there were other angels who followed Lucifer in his rebellion against God. And it's here in Ephesians chapter 6 where we find Paul. He's presenting us with this descriptive list of the various ranks of fallen angels who are helping to hinder our walk with the Lord. And so if you would look with me here at Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 10. Here Paul declares, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now here in these verses, we find Paul, he's helping his audience to understand that every believer is in the middle of a battle. But our fight is not with flesh and blood. Please understand that our fight is not against a, 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 an earthly enemy. This is a spiritual battle. And while I realize that there are many Christians who want to believe that life is a party, let's, let's get down. We're, in, we're on a battlefield. At every moment of every day, there is a spiritual battle happening. Whether you recognize it or not, the enemy is constantly attempting to hinder us. The enemy is constantly you know, trying to attack us and stop us from serving our Savior. And as we consider the enemy, it's good to know our enemy. And, and it's there in verse 12 where Paul presents us with, with four different rankings of fallen angels that he uh, calls here principalities. And there are powers. There are rulers of darkness. And then there, there, there are the spiritual hosts of wickedness in, in the heavenly places. These are the four categories of fallen angels that are actively trying to hinder our walk with the Lord. With that being the case, we should take some time to consider the way that these fallen angels attempt to hinder us with demonic distractions. And with this as the focus, I want to consider something that Paul wrote to the Christians there in Corinth. And so if you would continue holding your place there in 1 Thessalonians, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
As you make your way to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, I just want to take a moment to point out that there are times when the spiritual servants of Satan attempt to distract us with the fiery darts of demonic lies that they whisper into our ears. Good news is that Christians can't be demon-possessed because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The born-again believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and I can assure you right now, the Holy Spirit is not going to share the temple with demons. At the same time, though, the demons are able to oppress us and they are able to whisper lies into our ears and distract us with all kinds of fears and all kinds of, you know, disinformation and these sorts of things. They love to use unbelievers as well. They they love to use unbelievers and and false teachers to hinder us from following the Lord. And and you better believe that the enemy loves to raise up false teachers and send them into the church to lead us astray. I want to consider how Paul puts it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 12. Here Paul declares, what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are, what? False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Here in these verses, we find Paul describing the way that the devil and his demons, they're masquerading as ministers of righteousness. And it's sad to say that, you know, they have no problem propping up their, their, their false teachers. And, and, and listen, the church is now filled with false apostles and deceitful workers who stand in the pulpit and proclaim doctrines of demons. And it's becoming more and more commonplace. Not only that, but listen, there are also many Christian musicians and worship leaders who are being influenced by deceiving spirits who are attempting to hinder our walk of faith with a shallow form of Christianity that sometimes uses the name of Jesus, but then presents us with a a very watered-down walk. And and in this day and age, there's even worship leaders out there and Christian musicians who are writing songs that you would never know it was about Jesus unless you just understood you know, the, the potential context of the person's life. A lot of worship songs today could just be a love song for a girl. You wouldn't know. Why? Because the name of Jesus is never invoked. And yet we sing these songs as, as if it's you know, worship. It's for this reason that the Apostle John directed every disciple to test the Spirit's. It's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, where the Apostle John declares this. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Christian, do you realize that there are false teachers in the world today who are teaching false doctrines, and many of them are teaching in pulpits? And, and nobody's testing anything. Oh, I went and heard that preacher. He gave me all the warm fuzzies. He gave me all the feelings. 
must be of God. I felt something. I felt the Holy Spirit. Really? What does the Holy Spirit feel like? Did the doctrines line up with the Bible? That's my question. Before we embrace the latest craze blowing through the church, we must remember we've been called to test the spirits. But there's revival happening. Is there? Did you test it? The people who are all jazzed up about this so-called revival that the president of the university shut down for some other event, the people who are all jazzed up about it, I haven't yet to see one test being offered as evidence. It's just we got all the feelings, we sang all the songs, we lifted all the hands, but is it of God? Did you test it? And how do we test it? How do we test the spirits? By the word of God. Does it line up with the word of God? If not, then no matter how spiritual it seems, I'll remind you there are spiritual hosts of wickedness who want things to appear to be very spiritual as they masquerade as angels of light. And yet, They're here to hinder us with demonic distractions. And listen, this not only includes distractions that happen here within the church, but the demons are also trying to distract us with a laundry list of incredible events that we all need to be afraid of. Trust me when I tell you that the devil and his demons are using, they're using COVID still to distract us by making us too afraid to go to church. And while, uh, you know, uh, the majority of believers uh, have to to some degree returned to church, there there are many who have yet to come back to a church since 2020. Why? Because they're too afraid to. They might die and have to go see Jesus. How sad is that? You're afraid of dying? I can't wait. I want to see Jesus. I'm not, I'm not trying to stay here any longer than I have to. But people are distracted with all of their fears. The demons are using economic distractions that cause us to focus more on our finances than the Lord. Yeah, this economy, it's horrible, right? So got to stop going to church or else we're going to go broke. Got to go to work on Sunday. Demons are using distractions at home. You know, I I can't discipline my kids because then they won't love me. They're using distractions in the workplace so that we might fix our focus on anything other than Jesus. You better believe that the demons are using the mainstream media to distract us with incredible stories of balloons that, you know, they, they might be UFOs. Who can say? We don't know. What balloons? I'm afraid. If, blue, if, if UFOs, if the UFOs are, are, are out there, then does that mean Jesus doesn't exist? Maybe Jesus is an alien. I don't know. Train derailments are going to poison us all. Political insurrections are, are going to cause us to lose our democracy. Oh no, what do we do? And all of these things just distract us and, and, and make us afraid because the Christian who is walking in their fears is not walking in what? Faith. 
If you're being driven by all of your fears, you are not walking in faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. This brings us to our third point, because listen, Satan not only hinders us with doctrinal deceptions and with demonic distractions, but Satan also hinders us with discordant divisions. And to explain what I mean, let's make our way back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here we find Paul, he's again describing the divisions caused by the devil. And if you would look with me once again at verse 18, here again Paul declares, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. As we take one last look at this verse, we must not fail to realize that the devil was attempting to hinder Paul because he wanted to keep Paul away from this church there in Thessalonica. The devil didn't want the Christians in Thessalonica to grow. Satan wanted to separate Paul from these believers. And while it's true that Paul had a uh, had tried time and again to go back to those believers. It's also true that he was being hindered by the evil schemes of Satan. Now, praise the Lord that Paul made it back on his third journey because, again, Satan can't stop the servant of God who is walking in obedience with the Lord. He might be able to hinder us for a season, but he cannot stop us. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And yet Satan was trying to cause division here by, by keeping Paul away from this church. And listen, Satan is still attempting to divide Christians from their fellowship of faith by using disobedient disciples to develop discordant divisions. Now, to grasp the point that I'm seeking to make here, I want to consider how Paul addressed the division which was happening at the church in Corinth. And so if you will, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you make your way to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I just want to take a, a moment here to remind you that there were Christians there at the church in Corinth who were beginning to create division by insisting that some believers were better than others. Yeah, that's, that, that's what the whole thing was about. Some believers were better than others. Sadly, there's still Christians in the church who, who believe this today. Some Christians are better than others. In this case, there in Corinth, the divisive disciples were insisting that the baptism of Apollos was better than the baptism of Paul. Yeah, those who were baptized by Apollos, they, they were top-notch Christian, Christians. But, but, you know, Paul, his baptism wasn't as good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what they're dividing over. As a result, the Christians in Corinth were destroying their fellowship with this discordant division. And I want to consider how Paul addresses this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would, look with me there uh, beginning at verse 18, because here he declares, first, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Here in these verses, we find Paul helping his audience to understand that, that those who create discordant division within their fellowship of faith, they're actually opposing the leaders who have been raised up by the Lord. And so, so rather than focusing on this secondary issue of who baptized whom, Paul's saying, hey, look, there are actually leaders in this church that God has approved. 
and you ought to follow their leadership and not pay any attention to these guys who are creating this unnecessary division. That being the case, we'd all do well to realize that those who have no problem creating division amongst disciples in our church, they should be encouraged to simply go share their concerns with those who are in leadership. If someone comes to you and says, hey, you got to understand here that, you know, there's these people over here are better Christians than those. My team over here is better than that team over there. And so you have to side with us and and, and not with those guys. The minute somebody comes to you with that kind of nonsense, just say, hey, go talk to the leaders. As a matter of fact, let's go together. Come talk to me. Talk to to the lead deacons of the church so that we can clear it up. Then if they continue to cause division, well, Paul says avoid them. And avoid them as if they're servants of Satan. This is precisely the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 16. There he declares, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Here in these verses, we find Paul encouraging the Christians there in Rome to take notice of those who are creating divisions with deceptive doctrines. And the reason why, well, it's because those who are causing discord amongst the disciples of Christ, they aren't serving our Savior. They aren't serving our Savior. They're serving their bellies, which is to say that they're serving their feelings. They're they're serving their gut feeling. Listen, our gut feeling is oftentimes wrong. And those who serve their gut feelings are oftentimes in conflict with Christ Jesus. And those who are causing discord among the disciples of Christ, they, they aren't serving our Savior. And, and it's quite possible that, you know, like I said, at best they're serving their gut. At worst, they're serving Satan. Because listen, Satan is the one who has come into the church to stir up strife amongst the saints of God. Satan is the one who wants to tear churches apart. In order to understand why, I want to consider the warning that the Apostle Peter presented in his first epistle. If you would, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's here in the fifth chapter of Peter's first epistle where we find the Apostle Peter. He's comparing the devil to a roaring lion who is out there on the prowl. And with that, it's important to understand that lions are lazy hunters, they really are. They're, they're so busy fixing their, their hair, you know, it's, it takes a lot of time to get that mane looking good in the morning. But they're lazy hunters. And it's for this reason that they try to divide up a herd by getting in the middle of the weak and the strong. And they don't go after the strong. No, they go after the weak because that's easy lunch. It's in similar and yet a spiritual way that the devil is attempting to divide 
Christians from their fellowship of faith so that he can pick off the weak prey. Let's consider how the Apostle Peter puts it here in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you would look with me there at verse 8, here Peter declares, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Here in this verse, Peter here is encouraging every Christian to be sober and vigilant. And listen, sober is not a little buzzed. Well, I can have, you know, a couple of wine with a dinner, right? Peter says, be sober and be vigilant. Why? Because we are not at a party. We are on a battlefield. We are in the middle of a spiritual battle, Christian. And you better believe that the enemy will take advantage of any opportunity you give him when you're not being vigilant. They're always on the prowl. They're always trying to cause division in the church so that those who get separated from the, the herd will be easily destroyed. And with that being the case, we do well to realize that those who sow seeds of division here within our fellowship of faith, uh, they might be just following their own feelings, but it's also possible that they're helping Satan to hinder our walk with the Lord. Don't take my word for it, though. This is precisely the point that the Lord Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 13. There he presents a parable that helps us to see how the enemy loves to sow tares among the wheat. Tares, this empty shell, it looks like wheat, but it's not wheat. And the enemy wants to sow tares among the wheat. Satan loves to hinder the work of the Lord by sending his servants into the church so that they might create discord amongst the disciples of Christ so that the weak then begin to separate themselves from the rest of the herd and so that they're more easily destroyed. Now listen, this is not a license for us to go and root out the tares of the enemy. As a matter of fact, I'm glad for all the tares who are at this church. I praise the Lord that the enemy places tares in our church because I hope they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to know him. I pray for every tear to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. So we're not trying to kick the tares out, but we better make sure that we're not listening to them either. We need to note those who cause doctrinal divisions and immoral offenses so that we can learn to avoid those who are creating these sorts of discordant divisions. And with all this in mind, I encourage every Christian to realize that the devil and his demons are real. They truly exist. And you better believe that they're trying to hinder us in the same way that Satan tried to hinder Paul. Therefore, rather than allowing the enemy to hinder us from accomplishing the great commission of Christ Jesus, we should instead heed the instructions that James presented in his little epistle. And with this as the focus, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles now to James chapter 4. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of James, I just want to take a moment to consider the growing popularity of Satan. You might not know this. But the overt worship of Satan is becoming more and more mainstream. It's becoming more and more acceptable in social circles everywhere. Case in point, well, it was just two weeks ago when the Grammys featured a gender-fluid artist named Sam Smith. 
And it was during his prime time performance when Smith took to the stage dressed up like a crazy caricature of Satan. And not only that, but this performance also featured demonically dressed strippers who danced around in sexually provocative ways. And listen, if you want to understand how CBS saw this program that they were putting on, it was earlier that same day when the CBS Twitter account announced that they were ready to worship. That's what they said on Twitter. After looking at some things that Sam, uh, Sam Smith said about his performance that night and how Christians were going to be upset, the CBS Twitter feed said, ready to worship. Yeah. The people in charge of CBS are ready to worship. In what way? Well, as Smith sings this song called Unholy, dressed up like some caricature of Satan as wannabe strippers, looking like demons, danced around him. This is primetime television here in the 21st century. It used to be, you know, when I was a kid, the musicians who worshipped Satan had to act like it was all a big joke. Never heard what the punchline was. But it was, oh, they're not really Satan worshippers. They don't really mean it. It's all just for, you know, it's all a big gimmick, Yeah. You know, the satanic bands from the 70s were at least respectable in their Satanism by writing, you know, in ambiguous ways, you know, like, like Queen and David Bowie and Led Zeppelin and the Eagles. And, you know, they wrote about Satan and they worshipped him in ambiguous sorts of ways so that they had plausible deniability. They were the ones who paved the way for more explicit forms of satanic worship, which was seen in bands like Merciful Fate and Slayer and you know, I used to go rock out to Slayer. I used to go to their concerts and jump in the pit. After becoming a Christian, I realized that I was, I was partying with this band that was singing about child sacrifice. But it was all just a big joke, right? And that's what we thought. But these guys paved the way, you know, for those ambiguous artists to become more explicit. You know, like, like think back to Michael Jackson, you know. I mean, clear, clearly, Jackson was a devil worshiper. He, he sang about Jesus turning the stones to bread. Yeah. Had Jesus turned the stones to bread, he would have sinned. And yet, in We Are the World, Michael Jackson leads us to sing about Jesus turning the stones to bread. That's satanic as all get out. Now, here in the 21st century, we have artists like Sam, uh, Sam Smith and, and, and Lil Nas X explicitly worshiping Satan in, in their music and in their videos. And it's sad to say that there are many Christians who see no problem singing along with these satanic songs. No problem at all. Sing along with, with the Satan music one, one day and then go to church and sing about Jesus the next? This is double-minded. And it's sad to say that this is setting the ground for 
Satanism to become more and more popular. For example, just consider what's happening with the Satanic Temple. They continue to attract more and more adherents as they promote their brand of Satanism in so many different ways. For example, the Satanic Temple is now opening up a string of abortion clinics where women can go and engage in what they call their religious ritual of abortion. And they're trying to open up these clinics in places where abortion has been uh, criminalized. And they want to say, well, we have a religious right to engage in this religious ritual. And so women can go get their abortion so long as they're speaking forth the tenets of the satanic temple. It's twisted. The satanic temple is also offering after-school Satan clubs and in public schools all across our country. So yeah, your kids can go to a, 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 you know, a, a school program after school and, and, and worship Satan. They're currently promoting their annual Satan Con, which is scheduled for this spring. And yeah, they're going to put this on in there in Salem, you know, to celebrate the witch trials and whatnot. Without debate, the world is being primed for the rise of the Antichrist as Satanism becomes more and more mainstream. With that being the case, I encourage you to follow the instructions that James presents here in James chapter 4. Look with me there at verse 7. Here James declares, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Here in these verses, we find James encouraging every Christian to become those believers who are resisting the devil. That word resist, well, it's translated from a Greek word which means to take a stand against. The same word also speaks of those who set themselves against another with strong opposition. And that's exactly what we ought to do. We ought to stand opposed to Satan as we abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against our own souls. And with this as the goal, we should pay careful attention to this word submit here. Look with me again here at James chapter four. Is there in verse seven where James declares, submit, submit, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts You double-minded. We must not fail to notice that those who want to resist the devil, we must first submit to God. Christian, please trust me when I tell you that the devil and his demons are entirely unimpressed by the resistance of the believer who is still singing along with the satanic songs that he created through those art artists. Why is he worried about you? If you're still singing along with satanic songs, you're not resisting. Satan isn't worried about the Christian who tries to stand against the wiles of the devil all the while failing to remain sober and vigilant with humble obedience to the Lord. You're no concern to him because he's already hindering you. Christian, listen, those of us who really want to stand 
against Satan. Those who really want the devil and his demons to flee from us, we must be humble enough to recognize that the devil and his demons are not worried about us. So long as we're double-minded. The double-minded disciple is of no concern to the enemy because they've already accomplished their hindrance. If you really want the devil and his demons to flee from you, you must first draw near to God by submitting your life to our Savior Jesus. And the reason why is because the closer we get to God, the less Satan wants anything to do with us. You don't scare Satan, but God does. Therefore, we should draw near to him, submitting our life to him and repenting of all of our double-minded ways. Those who try to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, what did Jesus say about those Christians? I will spew you out of my mouth. Because they're lukewarm. We need to repent of our double-minded ways that lead us to vacillate between the word of God and the ways of this world. And knowing that the devil and his demons are trying to hinder our walk with the Lord, I encourage you, draw near to God. and He will draw near to you. And as we draw near to him, and he draws near to us, Satan flees. Trust me when I tell you that Satan is trying to hinder us each and every day. He does this with doctrinal deceptions, he does this with demonic distractions as well as discordant divisions. And with that being the case, we need to walk every day in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can avoid stumbling over the evil schemes of Satan. And as we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will help us to overcome every satanic hindrance. He does this by empowering every believer to accomplish our calling in Christ. If you're a believer who's being hindered by the devil and his demons, I encourage you, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's pray.